0: So, Tarek, do you want to introduce yourself a little bit?
1: My name is Tarek Elmou and I am a producer, programmer, curator, slash artist at the Marlborough Pub
0: and Theatre mm-hmm. in Brighton. The beautiful Brighton. Um, and what, uh, can you tell us a little bit about what your journey as a person and as a creative yeah has been so far? Um,
1: well, my journey was that I didn't... Um, I think maybe growing up in a family that was, I think it was quite typical of second generation, second generation, generation immigrants, is that art isn't necessarily the kind of the thing that parents might need to pursue. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, even though I did it, I did some art, in, you know, I did music and art, which was drawing and painting in at GCSE level, but then it ended those by. Sorry, but yeah, ended them by A level and studied science at university. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. really didn't enjoy it actually. I did psychology at university. Um, looking back over my school reports, I see that it's like, you know, throughout, it's like, you is know, creative and performery and dancery and all this kind of stuff. Like, I'm a bit like, oh, hello, why didn't anybody notice that? So it was basically on the back burner um, for a long time. Um, but I also, I guess my friends outside of school were arty and performery. Mm-hmm. Um, that's probably how, yeah. So, um, uh, in fact, actually, a lot of people that I knew growing up as teenagers now work in theatre and performance or musicians and this, that, and the other, which has maybe kind of checked myself that actually I have kind of always been on this path. Sometimes I think I haven't been on a creative path and I'm like, I know I, I have always been on it, just a little bit, maybe just adjacent to or not knowing that that's happening. Mm-hmm. So after my degree I was kind of quite depressed actually and I was finding myself being um, critical of a lot of art basically and just hating on stuff, even stuff that like young people have done when I was like in my early 20s and that was kind of like a bit of a catalyst for me to go wait a minute if I'm criticizing art made by teenagers I really obviously have got something going on inside. I need to, I obviously have got like a this unsatisfied artist within that needs like mm-hmm. to come out because it's not fair on teenagers <laughs> if I'm slagging off their work. Yeah, <laughs> it's just not a good look. <laughs> so I did the art foundation, mm-hmm. um, uh, which was a three-year process. I did it part time, um, and at the end of that, I went to Glastonbury Festival and hadn't been to Glastonbury for a little while. While I was there, I was really inspired by people who were just making things happen. There were mm-hmm. people who were just Movers and shakers and things were just happening. They weren't waiting to be given permission. Mm -hmm. And I, uh, by the end of that summer, because I did Glastonbury, then I did about 11 or 12 other festivals Mm -hmm. on top of that. By the end of that summer, I was really excited about the idea of putting one event on in the theatre. Actually, that was at the first event. That was at Glastonbury, I put one event on. By the end of that whole summer, and just being kind of like surrounded by performers and creators and people who just made shit happen without being told that they can, or without the right things in place, they just did it. After that whole summer, I was just like, maybe I can make more shit happen. Mm. Maybe I should just run the whole theater. Mm. At the time, I was working underneath the Malpa Theater. I like was working in the pub. I uh-huh. had bar jobs for, at that time for about eight years. And so I decided, to decided, without having any theater background knowledge, that I would look after the space. It wasn't, as, it wasn't actually about necessary It was about art mm-hmm. and creativity. Um, but not a specific form of art. Mm -hmm. And not actually at the time about queerness either. Mm -hmm. Um, At the time, I just wanted to open the space up and make a space for the people who Mm -hmm. could use the space. And actually I was inspired by a lot of the stuff I was seeing at festivals. So I was thinking that that kind of sideshow type work would fit well in the Marlborough. Mm -hmm. As a result of of facilitating the running of the Marlborough and putting on my own cabaret show, which I did for once every two months or five years. That gave me, you know, a leg up to mm. um, creating, making stage sets, putting on shows, hosting mm. shows, being a performer, um, performing my own strip teasers in the show that mm. were ridiculous. Um, so I guess, yeah, I found my own way because i because i managed to acquire a space and i acquired that space because i'd been in the venue already working in the bar for seven or eight years mm-hmm. and had known mm-hmm. some people i knew when there was the right moment to seize my opportunity mm-hmm. i think maybe it's something that a lot of marginalized people and immigrants um learn to be skilled at is to see and seize an opportunity when it comes mm-hmm. um so i um yeah so that's kind of been my route and then over over the years, the having to as the Marble has grown, because at first it was quite hands-on, mm-hmm. um, as, the, as the team has grown, there's been a lot more managerial things that have to happen that involve administration. And so mm-hmm. the last couple of years, actually really the last three or four years, have become, it's become more and more an office job and less a kind of physical communication mm-hmm. and making mm-hmm. things happen sort of job. And it, in that period, I had a breakdown. My dad had died, my relationship ended and I hit rock bottom and I was very depressed and I had a lot of questions to ask myself about what was feeding me in my life and what wasn't feeding me. Yeah. And I kinda recognise I had no space for creativity anymore. I didn't do my cab I haven't done my cabaret for a few years, for example. Mm. Um and actually I just didn't feel like there was any space in my daily life, my work life, mm-hmm. to express myself creatively now be a lot to express mm-hmm. um, and there just was no space for it so, um, dur- so during that breakdown period I just recognized that I need to create art mm-hmm. and that also that's up to me to define what my art is and that it doesn't have to fit into boxes yeah. and that I might have already been creating art for the last 10 years without recognizing it mm-hmm. as in what I've recognised, I think I do, what ties everything I do at festivals, mm-hmm. which I've been doing for the last ten years now, mm-hmm. or maybe twelve or thirteen, and what I do at the Marlborough, tying all that together to kind of see about creating these habitats that ex- that exist despite the surrounds, the surrounding things that are going on, basically. Mm. So at festivals, are like create little bubble worlds. But I feel like the Marlborough itself is a little bubble world, you know, where we kind of have created our own rules and laws and regulations and how to work together. And similarly, Browns and Abbey was another little bubble immersive world. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I guess I just started to see a thread through everything that I've been doing over the last 10 years and I could tie it all together mm-hmm. and make that my art form, which is basically curating and programming mm-hmm. and visioning a space, and then f- propagating it mm-hmm. with with the right people and the right art and the right audience, um, and yeah, and f- I guess it's it, I, the way that I'm seeing what I'm doing at the moment is being it's it's a it's combined art, it's a mix of loads of different mm-hmm. things that add up to mm-hmm. something bigger than the p- some of
0: their parts. Mm-hmm. Um, just hearing you talk and kind of uh, from having experienced you but also for the past few years also of experiencing and collaborating with Marlborough, one of the things that, um, that I always find is that there's a lot of um, a feeling of mutual coexistence in, in those spaces. Um, so for instance, uh, the Marlborough is aimed at um, queer, trans and POC communities in Brighton, um, and Branton Abbey was mainly a, a POC communities in Brighton or, or from across the country. But within those, to frameworks there's still so much space for everyone else yeah. to be here and i wonder if you can expand a little bit on that like early one you mentioned something about finding communities that don't require permission mm. to make their work mm. um or to exist and i wonder if you can expand a little bit on like why the need for these spaces mm. exists and um yeah specifically in the context of brighton well so
1: I, I would say by saying that first of all the marble wasn't always ne- necessarily known as a queer space mm-hmm. Um, that was deliberate by the people running it that we wanted to make that and m- push mm-hmm. that identity out. I think it was inherently a queer space because it was run, uh, it was had been in the hands of, um, mm-hmm. mostly lesbians and butch dykes partic- in particular, mm-hmm. um, for a long time. And so it kind of already had an inherent political charge to it. Um, I definitely found, um, within the lesbian community, I mean, traditionally that was more political than the gay men community mm-hmm. if we're mm-hmm. really looking back ten years or so ago. That was my experience anyway. Mm-hmm. But um, so it's important to us that the Marlborough remained um, a space that was a safe space for women because mm-hmm. again you don't see that anywhere in Brighton mm-hmm. um, apart from this one place, at least how I felt. Um, and I definitely felt that was that the customers also felt that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's important that that always said the same but also to open it up more to trans community mm-hmm. And for the Marlborough to be... Because I think when, whenever a community that is a safe space opens its doors a bit wider to other marginalised people of the same community that also have maybe some other, other um, forms of marginalisation as well, there can be some bit of infighting or something. So I think it was important that the Marlborough was very clear that we were in support of the trans community taking up space at the Marlborough. Mm-hmm. and similarly that's something that we're doing at the moment again um, about the people of color at the Marlborough to also take up space and to be for them to be able to be present and know that that is a place for them for us mm-hmm. um, so again actually think I think miss relates back to what you were saying I've been thinking a lot in the last year about radically inclusive spaces and radically exclusive spaces. Mm -hmm. I think both are really important. Um, Browns and Abbey and the Marlborough, I like to think of as radically inclusive spaces. So they're radically inclusive in that where the people who are often not included in spaces are first Mm centred and their needs are addressed, whether that is through making the toilets accessible or as accessible as we can make them from what we can. I know that they could be better, for example, there's always more that could be done. So well, I, I suppose like maybe I should make a caveat when I say that any successes that we have, that's not to think that we, we've done it and we're finished and mm-hmm. the best. Like it's always more that could be done. Yeah. Kind of world
0: rules, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, and I think that could be an easy trap to fall in particularly when you're talking about doing radical things. It can be easy for someone to be like, oh well, well we're radical and so mm. we've done it now because we're radical or something. So, <laughs> so um, it was important to me anyway to make to make spaces that are radically inclusive, so to, to centre marginalised people, but the other people who are not part of that group are welcome in the space as long as they respect. Mm. And that's, I guess, how, many, how, how a lot of gay bars in many, in many respects, for example, have worked for a long time. They do welcome in mm-hmm. people who are not gay into mm-hmm. the spaces if they respect
0: the space doesn't always happen, and there's been no. some real problems as a result. Actually, yeah. yeah, I've stopped going to many gay bars because a lot of people that I was going with were not welcome. Yeah, or right.
1: Yeah, sure. and actually, yeah, you're right. And when I think about it, I often didn't feel welcome in gay bars mm-hmm. because I wasn't. the yeah, so when I say people outside the community, mm. maybe that's just a complete fantasy in my mind. But anyway, <laughs> so <laughs> but anyway, he wanted to make the a space that was welcoming to um, to the wider community, and the same, and I had the same idea. It was about centering queer people of colour, especially queer people of colour with disabilities. Mm-hmm. Absolutely centering and celebrating and elevating this community, inviting everybody in to enjoy the space that we have, but just to, re- just for whatever actions to kind of remember what was at the centre, and to mm. keep that at the centre. Mm. And when we're being pulled to consider the masses, because actually, Branson Abbey for example, we, the m- centred audience, the queer people of colour, were actually still the minority in the space, but we didn't feel like it. Mm-hmm. Because you, I think because you were centred, because it felt like our space, so it didn't mm-hmm. matter that we were with other people, were there. it felt lovely to share the space with everybody actually. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how, that was my feeling of it is anyway, that I definitely, I was like, it doesn't feel like we're the minority here, but actually we kind of still are, but our power mm-hmm. is different. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, it's kind of a th- and throughout the process of creating brands and I kept thinking about sticking to the principles and not centering centering otherness rather than the mainstream, which is the mainstream is always trying to be centred, it's always calling yeah. for it, like what about me? Yeah and this saying, It's not about you. You can come but it's not about you. You may not find yourself represented. You can come but you might not see yourself.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Except maybe through the broad brushstrokes of humanity, which mm-hmm. you know is supposed to be enough for us this whole time so surely it should be enough for white audience to come along
0: yeah does that answer that question yeah it does and just picking up on the last point specifically when you're saying like even though you were in the minority in that room like you still felt comfortable enough mm. so it's not necessarily like it's about reframing that idea of what mm. minority is or majority is right in a way because mm. it's like of course you would you 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 were the m- minority in there because brighton is super white mm. <laughs> you know mm. what i mean but at the same time if you are given the right platforms, then it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. N- the
1: numbers aren't equal. Exactly. It? It's not, it's not really about the numbers, is it? It's just yeah. about what happens when we're given mm. the same power and strength or the same feeling that we are welcome in a space. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and uh, I guess I went out of my way to make sure that when people arrived at Branson Abbey, Mm -hmm. for example, they immediately saw queer people of colour on the door, Mm -hmm. being wild and free and whoever they wanted to be and taking up space so that they knew one who was living up in space, also when other queer people of colour arrived, they saw beautiful brown weirdos being complex individuals and also not being the same. Who, I would told everybody who were the hosts who are welcoming people mm-hmm. that we can represent however we like. We're not a monolith. Mm-hmm. Just like hold yourself however you like. Yeah. Just, but you know, take up space. Yeah. Know that this is your space, and I think that then translated to the audience who were coming. Mm. Um, and it also from what I hear, it also like freed up the white audience who came along as well. Mm. It, it wasn't like they came and went. Oh look, brown people, people of color, having a great time, but I'm supposed to like hold myself. From my understanding, though. The large majority of white audiences that came had a good, had a great time. With part of that was because they felt liberated of the stuffiness that normally comes along with institutions, anything mm-hmm. institutionalized, anything mm-hmm. that is kind of connected to colonialism, yeah. anything that is run exclusively by, you know, by a small bracket of cis white hetero
0: mm-hmm. people. Yeah, and so many of those places that are run by those people are so exclusionary because they don't include that any sense of an, a, a, a different outlook from their own outlooks into life mm. onto their programming right mm-hmm. and then in those schemes in those kind of programming decisions if there is any inclusivity within that then it becomes a ticking boxes ex- exercise right yeah. like yeah so, yeah, they, they they so that's justify it. like oh look we might be an all-white team but we've, we've had three artists of colour here. Yeah. <laughs> as and they exactly. never got to be in the programme together. They were kind of like yeah. spread out exactly.
1: as far away. So, you know, going kind to of give them the biggest <laughs> spread as possible <laughs> yeah. so we can really cover. I mean, this is the thing I'm definitely seeing a lot of mm. people of colour on the front of brochures all the time. It definitely mm. looks like we're everywhere at the moment. Yeah. It looks like we're so well represented, but actually mm. then are those artists who are in the front of the brochures being treated well by the festivals that they're yeah. promoting? Yeah. Have they been paid fairly? Yeah. Have they been, have they had a good experience? Has anyone checked how their experiences were? Have anyone even asked if it was felt tokenistic mm-hmm. being in the program? Like, I think there's not enough kind of going back over what we've done already to see, like how is this actually mm. impacting? Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, tell us a little bit more about Brownstone Abbey. So, Brownton Abbey came yeah. out of a need realization that I needed to be amongst people who were not questioning my reality. Mm -hmm. Um, Which is interesting because we use an artistic style that is grounded in fantasy or fiction. So that was interesting to kind of play with that, like mm-hmm. ne- needing to be people who recognise my reality, but like we're going to express this through fiction. Mm-hmm. Uh, but actually, I think that was really one of the, was one of the important parts of it. Is it meant we got to talk about and play with something that's very serious mm-hmm. with with a lens or with a kind of one step outside and be like to be playing what it means to be an alien um, as a from outer space rather than alienated. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I think was a so yeah, that was a, that was a, a pulling factor. That was the the thing that pushed me to have to to want to create something mm-hmm. that was made for and by queer people of colour. Mm-hmm. Throughout the process of creating Brands Abbey, I was very deliberate and persistent in that I work with all the creative elements that need to be done with other queer people of colour, which meant the photographers who come in to do a photo shoot, which meant the filmographers for the documentary. She meant the other producers, which meant all the artists involved. Mm-hmm. And there were some steps along the way because of budget reasons or whatever, or how like any projects go, you know, you're like, oh, we need someone right now and they should be meet someone local. And 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 I knew for some things, for example, that I could have, it would have been easier. Mm-hmm. Maybe it wouldn't have been. It would have been more disingenuous, but it would have been easier mm-hmm. to get some white photographer who was around the corner who would do the job for twenty quid. Yeah. But I was like, no, I. This is what we have the funding for. So why we asked for it in the first place is to, pay people of colour, mm-hmm. their worth, and to make those opportunities that often aren't there, and to go, no, this job is for you. I'm not going to go to someone who's just around the corner. Mm-hmm. Um. So that was a, another deciding another factor mm-hmm. to creating the piece. Mm-hmm. Um, and Afrofuturism is brought into it because, I mean, it's just so exciting.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I've always been in, you know, I'm, I'm a bit of a geek personally. Mm-hmm. I love, I do love comics. I love sci-fi. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've definitely becoming more and more tired of not seeing myself in sci-fi mm-hmm. or my peers in sci-fi mm-hmm. except tokenistically or in a weird way like you know there's a lot of in Klingons for example mm-hmm. the Klingons for to me always felt like they were meant to they're like you know proto-Arabs mm-hmm. there's a, a version of it's basically kind of like how you can play with how we can how how people, how aliens are racialized in TV and film is quite interesting. And you see that in Star Wars as well. I know there's some aliens that are meant to be Jewish and uh, what's his name, who's clearly a, a, a black um, stereotype, Jar Jar Binks.
0: Oh yeah. Oh God, I never read it. In yeah, it really is so
1: obvious when you look mm. at it. And in some way it's like, oh, well, there's our representation. Mm. But <laughs> so it's, it's really problematic, mm. you know. I suppose, you know, because you might want to, otherwise maybe all aliens, yeah uh, so those were, that was another thing that pulled me in that direction yeah. Um. Uh, and I guess also through Afrofuturism there's that kind of like colourful stuff I've always been you know for a long time areas in which I work in terms of creativity mm-hmm. um, it's always been kind of like stuff where there's like a lot a lot a lot more is more mm-hmm. and the psychedelic side of things where things are kind of like yeah twisting and turning and then I I guess also with Afrofuturism, there's an element of like there's a lot of fusion. I think that comes into it. There's lots of influences that are fused, I think, mm-hmm. inherently with an Afrofuturism, whether it's to do with because of time because we're looking at the future and, and now, mm-hmm. or whether it's kind of cultural um, reference points. Mm-hmm. feels very. It. It's very much. I feel like an art that fusion is inherent in it. Mm-hmm. And again, I think that is something that as someone kind of I f- Fusion's always been interested to me mm-hmm. as someone who doesn't necessarily... I, I do feel like a whole thing, mm-hmm. I am a whole being, mm-hmm. but in, you know, often the way that I describe myself, it's made up of many small parts and mm-hmm. uh, I guess culture and society, in particular the way things at the moment, real, you know, it's definitely helpful for me to describe myself as a queer person of colour, but that does sometimes get a bit confusing as being kind of like made up of these little bits rather than just like...
0: Oh this guy called Tarot. Mm. you know
1: um.
0: and why do you think that is like that, that breaking down of different identities like what what forces you into that in a way or if it's a force or if it's just what you how you adapt to specific yeah, can you repeat that question? yeah of course so uh, so that um, um, boxing or separation of different parts of your identity mm. in a way um, is that a personal choice or is it a consequence of something?
1: I think for a long time I probably avoided labels. I didn't really like gay as a label, and later on I understood why. I guess when I knew the word queer, I Mm. got why I didn't like gay. Um, Person of colour, I definitely didn't like at first, but you know, a lot of people that I love used the word. And Mm. and it also actually kind of made, I guess, more sense than other words I was using. And I started to understand, like, why, I don't know, mixed race, for example, actually is a Confusing term because mm. if two black people from different parts of the world mm. have a child, that child is often not thought of as mixed race. And when they talk about mixed race, it's kind of normally white with something else. Mm. And so there's kind of like an inherent problematic stuff always with these terms. Um, so, but then at some point, I kind of understood the n- the power of embracing. Mm. Um. The diff- these different categories, and that there's maybe also some inherent shame in some of these things, and how we're made to feel about naming ourselves these things. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually by saying it what it is is actually empowering. Mm-hmm. So it has been useful for me to kind of like recognize myself as a queer person of color, mm-hmm. how those two things meet each other, and that's been actually re- one of the most important things over the last two years for me mm-hmm. is to finally have the space and the room and the Community actually to discuss what that means. I hadn't previously had that. Mm -hmm. I think living in Brighton, haven't had. I uh, now have one male friend, cisgender like myself, Mm -hmm. who is a person of colour and queer, and that hadn't really been an issue for me. But until I recognised that, and I was like, oh, that would. What would it be like if there were other <laughs> queer, the queer men of colour who I could talk to about some stuff that I thought happened to me that maybe mm-hmm. didn't happen to other queer men, white queer men? Mm-hmm. What might that? Have, what might what might have my experience in Brighton have been like if when I said stuff happened to me if it wasn't denied I and mean, in fact people would yes it happened to me too mm-hmm. which has now been happening over the last two years and it's been incredibly powerful mm-hmm. so actually naming that recognizing my queerness and my my, my brownness mm-hmm. um, has meant that um it's been easy for me to find my community
2: yeah um,
1: in that last year i've also recognized that i have disabilities as well
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and i don't and this is where i then get a bit stuck because i'm aware of People discussing intersectionality mm-hmm. through this idea of it's some sort of like oppression Olympics mm-hmm. and the more things that you can have in your tool bag of reasons to be oppressed, the more power you have somehow. <laughs> it's a really weird really twisted argument. And look at the ways that I don't have power, this gives me so much power. Anyway. Um but yeah, so like I don't describe myself as a disabled, queer person of colour. Maybe mm-hmm. I should. I don't necessarily think of myself as that. Mm. But maybe I should. Um That might also be then it might also be within that that there is still some shame within that, like mm. as in it's taken me it took a while for me to really kind of like own my queerness and my brownness and mm. it's only been a short while that I've learned that I have disabilities, although I've mm. had them probably throughout my life. I've only just gone, oh mm. Those are those barriers. <laughs> um, so I guess for that reason, yeah, I have, so, so I'm, I'm really understanding that it's useful naming something, calling it what it was, is mm. rather than having to hide it and trying to try find your way in mm. else ways. Um, and I think, again, people often complain about why have you got to s- separate people into boxes and name people like this mm. or describe them as that. Like, Again, i think that's like we name everything that's how we, mm. we, we we're humans we talk we make new words we're like to talk about the new concepts and nuances yeah. that we didn't couldn't see before yeah like, that's what we've always done i don't really understand sometimes the pushback against new words and new terms and new mm-hmm.
0: ways of using words mm-hmm. um, yeah i don't either like when i don't understand that resistance either, to be honest, because I think language is such an ever-developing thing, right? And it's how it's how people... Um, the invention of language is a way for people to understand the world and to yeah. be able to express what they see and what yeah. they understand the world to be, right? There is, a, like, I found over the past year or so found a bit of resistance in certain areas for people who are part of the LGBTQ community, Q plus community. Um, but they have a lot of resistance to the word queerness and mm. the word queer, for mm. instance. And um, part of that, I think, is, from my understanding at least and from what some academics have suggested, is that it's sort of an import from American politics and American culture or American understanding of um, of uh, queerness or campness in a way or historical queerness. Um, but I find it quite baffling, for instance, in the UK, how and a lot of. A lot of places across Europe, really. Um, there's a lot of resistance to the word queerness from for different reasons. Mm. So the the word queer, for instance, in this country, has a lot of has a lot of history of um, derogative meaning attached to it, mm. right? Like we were in um, in Backpool a couple of weeks ago doing a site visit, and you know we're going to do some queer shows there, and people are there were like, "Do not use the queer, the word queer here, because mm. it's seen as a bad thing. Mm. This is a gay space." Mm. Um, which was really upsetting because mm. it's like, oh, you just like it's another form of gatekeeping actually, mm. and not allowing new conversations and new ways of looking at the world in that way mm. to Um, and on that note, I kind of wanted to explore two things. The one you said, that, you know, you you saw yourself as a gay man before, but now you kind of tra- transitioned into mm. a, qu- a queer a queer person mm. of color. And I wonder if you can just from your own perspective, um like navigate what is it that distinguishes between the two, the the word, you know, being a gay...
1: So I accepted being called a gay man, Mm -hmm. eventually, Mm -hmm. eventually, Mm -hmm. and I would call myself that, and I suppose that was useful because I didn't want to confuse other people to think, didn't want to confuse women that I might Mm. be into them, for example, Mm. you know, so it it was useful for me to kind of be like... And also even my own acceptance, like, I like men. Mm. I'm into that. Because previously, before, I guess when I was a teenager and I was growing up, I'd, you know, I've always been friends with men and women. In fact, I've had more friends with women. I've always been closer to women. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I was... I didn't want to live in a world of just men. Mm-hmm. I also love women, so I was kind of like, didn't want to... It be exclusive, it didn't mm-hmm. be exclusionary in a way, mm-hmm. I didn't want to, but also I felt that like also what society preferred was by at the time, my mm-hmm. understanding was that society, if you're a young person growing up, it's better to call yourself bisexual because there's still time yeah. for you to kind of like get married and have kids with a person of the, for want of a better word, opposite gender. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that just kind of felt safer to call myself, time. When, I was, when I was a teenager I thought of myself as bi and then mm-hmm. as an adult. Gay when I was an adult because, um, when I was a young adult because that was again how was a definition and then when when by the time queer came around I was like, this sounds makes more sense. It's look mm. I guess it's the political side of it. The fact that it doesn't really box well. You can't really define queer. Its definition is that it's on un- its definition is it doesn't define. Mm. Um, it's kind of continually breaking. You know, questioning itself or breaking itself yeah. apart, de- deconstructing. That's I think what what's mm. what what pulled to me, and also that it's almost like a, almost like in a kind of inherent state of change and growth it seemed to be in a, like what queerness was about. Mm. It just connected to me on a whole other level that yeah. seemed to make a lot more sense. Yeah. Um. And I'm much happier with that as a as mm. an identity, because I guess within that yeah within that queerness it doesn't say that. I think there's much less. Idea of what that means about who and what I am. Although, maybe over time, that word will become something like we'll also have a, because you know, there is, there are queer looks, there are, yeah, you know, there's some very um, clear whatever what it is to look like a queer in some way. Mm-hmm. So, who knows,
0: maybe in 10 years that won't be the right word again. <laughs> it maybe. might well
1: not be, I think that is language and that's also fine, yeah. You
0: know, but it's fascinating how queerness is translated into mainstream discourse at least Mm. you know and how diluted that has been in many ways right um like people who are not part of the queer communities or you know lgbtq communities keep talking to me about rupaul's drag race as if that's their their pinnacle Mm. of queerness for them Mm. and and i know like i always found it extremely problematic Mm. because like it's not is even queer yeah exactly I
1: i mean maybe it is it is kind of radical kind of also is really not radical yeah no no women no trans women
0: Yeah, (laughs) it's so it's it's so it's
1: It's, that's very gay and not queer. It's very
0: exclusionary, right? Like I always thought, like the the idea of gayness or or gay spaces was so exclusionary to anyone who didn't fit a specific mold, right? But there are still there are still a lot of problems within what we understand as queer spaces, even in this country, right? Yeah, I mean
1: again, like queer spaces, like. Now I was saying earlier about when someone when something calls itself radical it often no longer questions its own radicalness. Yeah. Kind of become and I think that can also happen within queerness as well. I think queer people can very easily fall back on feeling like, you know, we have all the answers, we're Mm. like we're radical people, we've Mm. we we we're not we're not doing what the mainstream we're doing, we've kind of got some whole other other vision and so as a result we can sometimes uh, excuse some of our less radical behaviour, i. e. uh, racism, ableism. Yeah fatism, you know, sexism. Yeah. <laughs> you know that's actually happens. You know transphobia. That's actually s- exists in the queer community, yeah. which you'd think, from understanding what queer it is, you'd think that wasn't there. But yeah, so I think mm-hmm. so. Yeah, I think it can sometimes. Yeah, but th- there's definitely some problematic behaviors in there. And I think sometimes it might even be the label the idea of once you have that label, maybe mm. that excuses you to kind of, like, chill for a bit, not question yourself, not be accountable anymore. Yeah.
0: Do you have on... Uh, on um, yeah, so is it, like, within this economical climate that we live in, mm. um, and the current societal changes that are happening, mm. there's sort of an intersection between uh, um, Gay spaces kind of redefining themselves as queer spaces, which is a good thing, I suppose. Um, mm-hmm. but there are also a lot of spaces that were traditionally for LGBTQ plus communities, uh, kind of closing down or not really being allowed a space to breathe and to exist. Mm. Um, so, and it's getting harder and harder mm. to do that because specifically in art spaces, because there's loads of there's not enough money for those for, mm. the, for any place like that to come through. I wonder, from your experience, uh, if there's any specific places that you'd like to highlight that exist in the UK as like, queer spaces that are kind of safe-ish for people to go and um, be queer at? It doesn't have to be physical spaces, it can be like events and things like that as well.
1: <laughs> Some Facebook groups?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: I've learned actually a lot from reading stuff from Facebook groups, mm-hmm. I really have learned a lot. Even just reading through th- um, arguments within within groups, like the, the thread, comments thread, and just seeing one person will post one opinion, and another person who mm-hmm. knows a bit more will post another. And actually, I find that quite a good way of learning. Mm-hmm. I feel like I've learned a hell of a lot through what through reading through people's um, discussions and not commenting myself. I wish yeah. sometimes maybe people would. Do more of that as well. Not necessarily they have to comment if they don't know about something and they mm-hmm. learn just from reading it and doing the research. So maybe sometimes, sometimes the internet, specific mm-hmm. like pl- specific corners of the internet. I think it's really hard. You live. I don't know. There's you know safe spaces is impossible. Safer spaces is 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 a thing. I think we can maybe rely on. Mm-hmm. Um. I guess I've been to some. I guess it just depends on how how we're looking at it if we're talking about queer spaces that are safe for queers but like which queers mm-hmm. like brown queers because then you maybe you're only gonna find a safe space of brown queers that are like is run by brown queers and mm-hmm. that's in the, and so or like are we talking about disabled queers because then maybe that might only be mm-hmm. places that are specifically created by disabled mm-hmm. queers mm-hmm. um or for create que- for disabled queers So actually in terms of safer spaces on the queer scene, Mm -hmm. it's still actually quite generically safe for white, cis Mm -hmm. people and maybe ones with a bit more money as well, because Mm -hmm. that keeps you mentally, you know, maybe you've got more opportunity for therapy that you might need or those kind of things. Just um, so I'd play. love to answer the question and say that I can but i got <laughs> loads of, of, of my time, but actually I, mm. none but I that um maybe through this kind of intersectional lens that I feel are like doing I mean of course there are brilliant spaces like the R V T yeah. and the Marlborough mm-hmm. and um uh, I I I have here some amazing heard of some amazing projects that are happening up in mm-hmm. London. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I mean, I've been to some great events in, in Berlin that was just, for example, for, for, it was an event, it was a weekend of events just for men, mm-hmm. queer men, which included bi, gay ch- and trans men. And that was actually really lovely to have to be in a space together with trans men, for trans men to be deliberately included as part of a community mm-hmm. of men, mm-hmm. which is actually quite rare, I think. Mm-hmm. It was really, it was really wonderful. I was so happy that that was part of it. Mm. That it was just, it should be good. Mm-hmm. And so, um, that space, I guess. But then, actually, in terms of it, being a person of color in that space, yeah, I didn't feel that safe. I had to when someone asked me where I was from, and I said England. They said I don't look like I'm from England, and they were like, you know what I mean? Tell me where you're from, sort of thing. Yeah. You know, and this is in a space that's meant to be really radical. Mm. And when I spoke to some people about it, they were like, what, I can't believe that would happen here. Mm. And then other people were like, well, of course, that shit happens here because Mm. people actually are not actually, (laughs) people are still really stuck and they're not continuing questioning themselves and they won't, they won't be accountable. Mm. You know, I did tell this man that it wasn't right. that He was asking me these questions, but he didn't want to, he didn't want to learn from me.
0: And is that kind of that kind of questioning or that kind of othering? Do you feel that, uh, as someone who has family in other places, in other contexts outside of the UK, that you might visit every now and then, is that, is the othering similar? Is that the kind of do you get asked that kind of question? Do you get asked? Do you do? Are you made to feel unwelcome in that sense?
1: When I've been to India, people ask me where I'm from, but I think because I specifically went to know I am actually Indian. If mm. I see someone who could look be Indian, mm-hmm. um, but also dressing contemporary mm-hmm. um, or in a way that maybe isn't seen as traditionally Indian or typically Indian for someone of my age mm-hmm. um, or any age maybe. And so I, I get, I think I get questions a lot from there from Indians, but mm-hmm. I don't mind that. I quite mm-hmm. like that people think I'm from their country. That's, mm-hmm. that's nice. That makes, me mm-hmm. feel, that makes me feel quite safe. Mm-hmm. Um, and
0: it's the intention, isn't it? It's it's, it's, it's kind like, of the intention. Cause that's more inclusivity. It's like yeah. it, it kind of is asking you if you are like from the perspective of wanting you to be part of the community. Yeah. Whilst the the other one seems to be like being off from here. Yeah,
1: you you're different. Yeah. And I would like to know why you're different. Yeah. It often feels to me when someone asks you where I'm from, they want to say, "I would like to know you've you know, you've registered." Uh-huh. In my in my vision, or you've registered in my in my mind as something different from here. Mm. So in order to settle my mind, because it's asking questions, I need to just ask you where you're from, and then you will tell me, and then I will go, okay, ah, okay, ah, you're from this place, and then I and then the questions are done, and then the mind relaxes, as if there were, as if me saying I'm half Moroccan has ever really given that person any context, because yeah. that doesn't really give them. They don't know how much I've ever been to Morocco. Mm. They only know that. Where, why my skin is brown, mm-hmm. we, and like which part of the world my brown skin comes from. Yeah. Um, and so it's always weird when, so when someone asks you where you're from, and then you do give them the answer, and then they go, Ah, mm-hmm. I've stopped giving the answer now. I really do push back on giving that answer. Um, I've lots of different ways to get around it. Mm. Currently, I like saying I'm from Wakanda. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Wakanda forever. <Exactly. laughs> Um and I also sometimes correct people when they ask me where I'm from I ask them, I think you mean why am I brown? Um and that normally gives people a pause to think why they're actually asking the question because mm-hmm. I definitely have noticed when I say to someone I am half Dutch mm-hmm. they go and they want to know the other half like what's the other half but if I say I'm half Moroccan that's all the questions they ask. They don't go, and what's the other half? Mm-hmm. Very okay, rarely does someone ask me that. They're not interested in that. They just want to know why I'm brown. <laughs> yeah. And I, you know, to be honest, I also recognise myself having these questions like, you know, sometimes I meet someone and I'm curious to know what their heritage mm-hmm. is or what their background is. Mm-hmm. I think that's what was, That's because I've grown up in this country and that's what we've been taught is like kind of like important kind of ways of knowing people and understanding people. Mm-hmm. So, to you know, first and foremost, where they come from mm-hmm. or something. Mm-hmm. Like that will tell you the most about someone. Mm-hmm. You know. Sometimes I think when someone asks me where I'm from why they don't when there's question when that question is quite regular, mm-hmm. why people don't like ask me, Have you got any pets? That might tell them
0: more <laughs> about me saying that I'm from Morocco. <laughs> yeah. You know I mean, what, what I mean? Well the plants. Uh,
1: like exactly <laughs> and like uh, like I've got plenty of stuff that I get, yeah. like makes me identify as me. That isn't to yeah. say that my cultural heritage mm-hmm. is not an, an important part of what makes me me, but it's just a weird fixation on that mm. being like, and it's also the fervent need for people to to know that to know that question within a couple of minutes of meeting you like yeah. yeah, you got time to ask okay, let's get to know each other. And you've got time to ask me that yeah. it's really you need to know now, and then you're going to walk away, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you only want to know so you can walk away from yeah. Me or something, or just kind of like have
0: that bit answered. Mm. OK, so um, and what's, next, what's next for you? Uh, next to me is <coughs> figuring
1: out what how to tour Branson Abbey, um, getting some funding for that so we can take it around the country. As we've got a few dates already lined up, so that's exciting. Great. Um, can you just the, the spaces that you're going to take? I can tell you that we're going to be doing South Bank Centre with Unlimited Festival.
0: Woohoo! Stuff. Well done.
1: Um, I'm really looking forward to that because it's, there's going to be <clears throat> what I think we learned in the first event was that uh, there wasn't enough attention on making the space wheelchair accessible. I thought it was going to be wheelchair accessible. I was told that it would be, mm. but actually wasn't. Mm. And so I'm excited about the Sandbank mm. Central Wellness because it's been done with the limited festival. The ma- Majority, I think, of the audience, or would be a very large contingent. It might be the same thing as, th- as the last one, as that it, wasn't, it might not necessarily be the most people that were there were people of colour, but they own the space. And I think it will feel the same to with disabled people, but they may not be the most people there. They might be, but they will feel like it is their space and they own it. And so I'm really looking forward to, to that. Or mm-hmm. feel like it will be our space, because so I actually include myself as a disabled person. Yes. Yeah. We will feel like it's our space. <laughs> um, so I'll be doing that. Um I also want to spend some time on projects that link me to Morocco, to my mm-hmm. own heritage. Mm-hmm. Um and um I've got something that I've dreamed up, I have a vision mm-hmm. and now I just need to find ways of making it happen. Mm-hmm. And that's what re- it's a it's a thing that, um, will be a collaboration with an artist that I met, um, in the last year, um, fusing her work with source material that I have, which is, um, stories and songs, mm-hmm. um, spoken by my grandmother to my father, um, from around twenty years ago, maybe a bit longer. I think he took, I think he interviewed her over like 20, 10 or twenty years.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um and recorded all that on tape, so you've got a good forty hours of source of material of like stuff from a completely different time and era, mm-hmm. um and yeah I'd like to use that for something and to take some work to Morocco to the village where my dad was from nice. and make some work maybe with the local people there. Nice, yeah, and mm-hmm. I like the idea of touring it around villages in Morocco and mm-hmm. uh, making something that like is connects with them, I don't want to just bring a thing in and be like, hey, this is what I want to mix, I think you should be interested in, you know, mm. um, but I'd be surprised if people weren't interested to hear the voice of an elder who'd long gone fused up with like ex- exciting projection and all this mm. kind of stuff. I think it would mi- be aware of mixing old people and young people. So hopefully what's next for me is like working more, again with more community stuff, more political. Uh, activist, artist stuff. Um, I think more. Uh, I still am a bit shy of some things, mm-hmm. so, you know, we all are. Despite also maybe being a, sometimes an extrovert, as things that I'm kind of like the fears. So I'm looking forward to maybe like losing, shaking off some of those fears and pushing myself out into the world a bit more, um, allowing myself to fail even. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think I'm going to try and do some weird and wonderful, exciting
0: things. Mm. Okay. Or we'll surprise people. <laughs> oh, I didn't know he was going to do that. <laughs> uh-huh. Um, I feel like that's always a known surprise with you. Yeah. And that's <laughs> I think it's, it's always going
1: to be a little bit of surprise. Yeah. I think if I haven't surprised someone then I feel like I haven't really done my job. <laughs> um, it has to be like, oh! Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, Tariq, thank you so much. My pleasure. Thanks for that asking me. Gorgeous. Uh, and I'm really glad we managed to do it. Um, and I can't wait to see um, your new projects and where you go after this.
1: Thanks, Sam. <laughs>